0: thanks so much for listening. This episode is brought to you by Outgrow. Tableau, Adobe, and MuleSoft, as well as freelancers and entrepreneurs use outgrow.co to boost their marketing and lead generation. With Outgrow, any marketer can build calculators, assessments, chatbots, and recommendation tools to double your conversions. Outgrow's ready-to-use templates, powerful integrations, analytics, and segmentation options are built for the modern marketer. Personalization is all the rage these days, and I love Outgrow's quiz builders. You can learn more about your site's visitors and send them the content that's most relevant to them. Go to outgrow.co slash joe. That's outgrow.co forward slash joe. Podcast listeners will get a special 30-day free trial with no card required. Try Outgrow today to grow your business. Thanks so much to Outgrow for sponsoring the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 203 of How I Built It. Today's sponsors are Outgrow, Text Expander, and Restrict Content Pro. You'll hear about them later in the show. Right now, I want to bring on my guest. His name is Alex Price. He is the founder and managing director over at 93 Digital. And we're going to be talking about building a business process to pitch and virtual pitching and a whole bunch of things I need to be better about. Alex,
1: how are you today? I'm awesome, Joe. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to talking.
0: My pleasure. Thanks so much for coming on the show. So, uh, you know, this is obviously this has become a bigger thing in the last year. Or so, Um, with events being canceled, that's generally been my biggest lead generator. As I go to conferences, I meet people, I speak, and I I network that way. Uh, My networking has uh, suffered a little bit. This podcast has certainly helped keep it going. But um, so you reached out to be on the show, and you mentioned virtual pitching, and I was all about it. So uh, I'm excited to talk about that. But before we do, before we do. Why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do?
1: Yeah, of course. So, as you said, I'm Alex Price. I'm the founder and MD of 93 Digital. So, we are an enterprise WordPress agency based uh, here in London in the UK. Um, We specialize in delivering kind of UX centric design development projects built on WordPress. So, um, we tend to take projects through from start to finish, all the kind of discovery, definition, strategy type work into the UX design development, um, all the project management, so kind of end-to-end delivery of, of WordPress-based projects. And for a, a bit of a mix of clients, but we actually have a few kind of sectors and verticals that we we specialize in working with. So the biggest one for us is probably the B2B technology space. So a lot of B2B tech, software, SaaS type companies um, is one of the kind of main verticals that we work with. And actually, I think when we dive into kind of building new business processes a bit more, I'm really big on that, like, vertical industry specialization as being a really key thing, I think, for agencies and freelancers to get to get right. Um, it's all really good to be great at WordPress in itself. And then there's kind of that extra magic layer that I think sometimes you need on top, which is, you know, we've been there and we've done it before uh, for clients just like you, which I think can be pretty powerful. So yeah, we're a team of about 25 uh, based in London, obviously all working remotely at the moment with everything that's still going on. Uh, our office is closed, but um, split across the usual roles of UX design, project managers, developers, um, digital strategy, some SEO, that kind of thing. Uh, and yeah, the agency has been going for six, seven years. So grew out of myself freelancing initially. I was kind of a really average developer and average designer and pretty much average at everything. Um, uh, but I did a bit of SEO as well. So I was kind of like this generalist, digital marketer, mm-hmm. designer, developer, uh, which I think actually has allowed me to, to grow an agency quite well because um, it's you know it's been quite easy to replace myself out of some of those roles. Um, hiring the, de- the first developer wasn't hard because they were probably going to be better than me. So it wasn't <laughs> particularly challenging. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the, the story in a nutshell. Um, but hopefully that gives some context to, to listeners.
0: Yeah, for sure, and I mean that's so important, right? Because I think I mean I'm I'm like this. I imagine a lot of people in the WordPress space are like this: is we have the excuse me, we have the development skill, um, but we're not particularly good at at running a business, right? We're we're good at the development part. I I for a long time took the field of dreams approach. If you're familiar with that movie, right? Like if you build it, they will come. Uh, That's not really the case. Uh, So it it takes you know good business chops. Um, So. I uh, I I know that you're a WordPress agency. As we record this, there is some timely news that I'd like to talk about in the members-only show, which is automatic getting into the web design game. Uh, everybody in the WordPress space has an opinion about that, I'm sure. Uh, so if you are not signed up for the Build Something Club over at buildsomething.club, go ahead and do that, and you can catch Alex and my conversation about that. But I love what you said about being in different sectors and verticals. I know a lot of my web design business when I was doing that primarily came through word of mouth. Uh, I read a book recently called get rich in the deep end by Brent Weaver, which talks about how just terrible word of mouth only business is because once people stop, stop talking about you, you, uh, and you don't have a pipeline that's not scalable. So you talking about different verticals is fantastic. And on that same note, uh, I suspect that, um, Word of mouth is probably tough in the B2B tech space, right? Because I I assume a lot of SaaS companies aren't telling their competitors who built their website, is is my guess. Is that a fair assessment?
1: Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. Yeah. Um <laughs> I think we it's interesting. You hear there's so many like agency gurus out there writing agency consultants and agency growth consultants, and everyone's got their different perspective on how much of your opportunities your revenue your leads whatever you want to call them should come from different things word of mouth referral events you know inbound digital we've we've always been very inbound led like our clients have pretty much all come to us and converted through our website pretty much and that's been the case kind of from the beginning so i i almost feel like we've when i talk to a lot of agencies i'm always surprised at how maybe back to front we've been on that front um I think a lot of agencies are born out of you know some someone that's founded the agency has worked in a business they've left and they've you know, the, the business that they've been working at is like their first customer and then friends that are working and so I I started my agency when I was twenty one effectively I just dropped out of university and I didn't really have a network I didn't have any you know, all of my friends were still at university I didn't really have anyone where I could kind of tap into and my network was pretty much zero um, and my experience um, and so. For me, it was kind of just normal to like build a website, think about SEO. We quite quickly kind of found ourselves at the top of Google for things relating to WordPress web design, and um, it works. Like I think uh, in the B two B space, you know, we're a B two B business too. People often think that inbound and SEO and uh, you know are too difficult or not relevant, but there are a lot of people in big businesses, and big B two B tech companies who know they need to deliver a new website and the first thing they do is they sit down in front of Google and they look for whatever they're looking for and whether that's CMS specific or not. Um, So some clients come into us uh, looking for an agency that's specialist in B2B tech software SaaS and we've got landing pages optimized on our site just for that. Some clients come into us looking for a WordPress agency first and foremost and then they discover we've got the industry specialism too. So whichever route in I think it's all just about understanding that kind of buyer journey of your of your potential clients like how do they how do they research and find what they're looking for ultimately um and so yeah we've we've always been pretty inbound we we now do some of our own events and word of mouth is kind of gathered with time and there's a few other things that we that we do and that we run and we've got a podcast too focused on b2b tech marketing and um so all the usual things you would expect but we've never gone out knocking on doors or asking for referrals or doing any kind of outbound cold email type stuff um, Everything has kind of come to us over over the years.
0: Yeah, that's that's fantastic. And so, so you dropped out of university and started your agency at 21. Uh, I was a student freelancer uh, all throughout high school, most of high school and college. So awesome. Um, yeah, it was it was great. It was just like people want to pay me to build websites. Like I have no money, so this is amazing. Uh, what what made you drop out? To start a business, right? Because I I went all the way through and I got my master's, and I was like, "School will give me more time," uh, but you you kind of went the opposite direction, and now you you're running a, a by most accounts a very successful agency.
1: Yeah, so it's a it's a weird one. I I I think from a young age I've always had like this real drive for independence, and I I can't explain why, or I'm sure there's some like deep rooted childhood issue that a psychologist would discover in me. Um, We'd have the same one then. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I think I always had this kind of striving ambition to be able to like support myself for whatever reason, not to be dependent on even my parents for any kind of financial support, whatever. And I think part of that was also that my, my dad has always worked for himself. And so for me, growing up in a family where my dad was self-employed was actually way more normal than, Getting a job, like mm-hmm. the idea of going to university, filling out a CV, and then applying to places, was actually, although it sounds crazy, it was actually more alien to me than
0: yeah
1: than than freelancing or working for myself. It was just looking back on it now, it was weird. But at the time, it was like that was just normal life. That was almost like the route I was going to follow to some extent. And weirdly, I, ha- I have a twin brother who's gone down a very corporate route, and so maybe that's not. Um, you know, he works actually for Boeing in the in the aviation oh, space. Wow. So, um, he did engineering at university and stuff and followed a, a very different route. So yeah, I can't explain it fully, but I think I just, you know, I always look back. I'm actually, um, I kind of say to people that I think if I'd stuck at university and had the patience to keep studying, I'd probably end up being like a doctor or an architect mm-hmm. or like I've got one of those brains that loves both the creative and the technical side of things in life in general yeah. um, and a strong appreciation for both. But I was just raring to go. I wanted to make some some pocket money basically um, I think I had an argument with my mum who was like, if you want to go to up to London and see some friends, you need to help me clean the windows or something stupid like that. And I was like this <laughs> stroppy 15, 16-year-old. I was like, I don't need to clean any windows. I can I can support myself. Um, yeah. And I literally signed up for accounts on like, at the time it was um, Elance, which I think now is yeah. part of Upwork and yep. People Per Hour and like freelance job sites. Um, Codable didn't exist back then, but you know, Codable is a freelance WordPress developer job site now Um, and I just started doing bits of work and I literally started at the very bottom of the ladder it was like £7 an hour what's that like 10 bucks an hour doing tiny changes to websites um, and I've kind of stopped on every rung on the ladder on the way up so I've gone from £7 an hour to £200 projects to £2,000 projects to £100,000 projects and like everything in between so it's been but I think that's also been really good for me to experience and to see, you know, to, to, to work with every type of client that's out there from huge enterprise down to, you know, one man business. And um, so yeah, it's been, been quite a journey, but not one that, um, I, I did one year of university and, and I, you know, I loved the experience, but I just got to a point where I was like, I was turning down work and I felt like I had to, mm-hmm. I had to give it a shot and I had to, had to go in kind of all in on, on growing the agency. Oh, wow, that's that's
0: amazing. I like and again, I'm similar in that we kind of started young. It sounds like you're maybe a little bit younger than me. I'm 35. Uh, and I started in, in again in high school and they're like there weren't these websites. There was just businesses who needed websites. And there were my friends' parents and my my friends' parents' connections and, and so that's how I got started. But my dad didn't go to college. He worked at uh, Verizon for his whole life until he retired basically. Um, you know, once he was like eighteen or whatever and yeah. uh and he like discouraged me from starting a business because he took the pension slash 401k job security route, and um you know, that said, when I did strike out on my own, even like with a wife and kid, uh full time, he was
1: supportive and like gave me my first seed money and whatever, but that's awesome, you know, I, I always think when, like if I tried to do this at a later stage. So I'm, I turned 28 on the weekend. So, um, I'm at a stage. Thank you very much. I'm at a stage where I have a girlfriend, but that's pretty much it. And like, in terms of dependencies, kids, you know, have been fortunate to be able to buy a flat and have a small mortgage and stuff. But, um, you know, I'm relatively uh, kind of independent. I, I always think to myself, like if I got to 35, 40 years old, having spent my whole career working in big corporate and then tried to take that jump, I think that would, have, that would be really tough. Like, I don't even know whether I would have that in me. I think being able to basically start in my bedroom at 16, 17 years old and just go very slowly, have no expenses, be, be living at home, be, be living at university, that was a very easy, gentle way of easing into what can be quite a weird way of life, right? And I think knows yeah. anyone as well as anyone that it's uh, it can be tough. so. Yeah, it's, uh, I have a lot of respect for anyone that goes down that route. Um, I think to some extent, weirdly, even more so when, they, when they, they move away from the safety of something that they've got, as you say, the, the 401k and um, you know, the, the, the job security that comes with a more corporate corporate life.
0: This episode is brought to you by Restrict Content Pro. If you need a fast, easy way to set up a membership site for yourself or your clients, look no further than the Restrict Content Pro WordPress plugin. Easily create premium content for members using your favorite payment gateway, manage members, send member only emails, and more. You can create any number of subscription packages, including free trials and even free tiers. But that's not all. Their extensive add ons library allows you to do even more, like drip out content, connect with any number of CRMs and newsletter tools including my favorite, ConvertKit. And you can integrate with other WordPress plugins like BBPress. When the Build Something Club comes out later this month, you can bet it's going to be using Restrict Content Pro. I'm a big fan of the team, I'm a big fan of the tool, and I know they do fantastic work over there. If you want to learn more about Restrict Content Pro and start making money with your own membership site today, Head on over to howibuilt.it slash rcp. That's howibuilt.it slash rcp to learn more and get a special offer for listeners only. Thanks so much to Restrict Content Pro for supporting the show. I promise we'll get into virtual pitching soon, but I think (laughs) this is important because we, uh, you know, we kind of had, we have similar paths in that we're both self-employed, but we had very different. Approaches and I was definitely self employed right after grad school, basically until I was about twenty six and I realized I needed health insurance, um which is much harder for self employed folks to have here in the united states okay. um, and and then, after I got married, I just was generally unhappy in my secure job. um agency life can be demanding uh depending on the kind of work you're doing and my first my first kid, my daughter was born and my wife was super supportive and also my wife is employed as a nurse. So <laughs> she had health insurance. Uh, so, I mean, it was, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things to think about depending on where you live. and, and but uh, having that support system was in, was incredible for me, both my parents and my wife, of course. So um, yeah, anyway. All right. So that was, that was the fun uh, sappy segment. Um, let's talk about pitching because you also said something else in there, which was most of your leads come from your website. And yep. that people Google uh, and they come to optimize landing pages, so the first question I want to ask you is, you called yourself a WordPress agency. Um, I have generally argued that most clients, at least most like freelance small business clients, don't even know what WordPress is or don't generally care about the platform. It's a little bit different on the enterprise side, right? because maybe you have people doing research and understanding like what sure. works into their bigger picture, but do you find yep. A lot of your clients ask for WordPress
1: yes I think our our positioning as and our tagline is literally the London WordPress agency means that we get very few things which aren't already decided on WordPress mm-hmm. so even if it is a big enterprise client some of them might be considering a few different things like it it's yeah every now and then we'll get an RFP or a brief that comes in that's you know we're considering open source CMSs generally whether that's Drupal or WordPress or um, or they might be looking at a, Kentico or some kind of .NET or other uh, type platform. So some of them are quite open, but serious about at least considering WordPress. Other than that, I'd say probably, I don't track it, but over 90% of what comes our way has already decided on WordPress. And I think that's just, you know, that's our our positioning. Um, It would be almost strange if someone got in touch and didn't realize that we were so focused on WordPress. So um, that kind of helps. Um, I guess you could argue that like, what are we missing out on? higher up the funnel, like other opportunities we're missing who need persuading that WordPress is the, the best CMS for them. And my response to that is like, like, right now we're busy enough and growing fast enough with people that already know they want to use WordPress and don't need persuading of the benefits. Why do I want to work you know, two, three times as hard mm-hmm. to win an opportunity, I'm trying to persuade them that WordPress is better than Drupal and you know, all right. the usual debates that can be had when... Plenty of stuff comes our way that is already decided, right? So I think the the pool of businesses that know they want to use WordPress is large enough uh, for there to be you know a lot of opportunities out there. Even more so if you you begin to specialize in delivering WordPress for a certain type of business. Like I I, I genuinely think that I don't really believe that like generalist WordPress agency is really a thing. Like mm-hmm. I think when you dig into it, there's always more to it. And yeah, what WordPress agency might be the tagline or the H1 on the homepage but quite quickly if you look under the hood of any agency you've got some agencies which are super technical right like they're recognized more for their development and engineering skill they they might not even have a design team they're working with product people and CTOs and it's all about development you've got some agencies which are all about the creative and they're more brand led and you could argue that their engineering development skills are not as strong you've got some agencies which I think we are which is more kind of marketing focused, at least in terms of outlook. Like I view what we do as delivering marketing results ultimately, and, and WordPress is just a way of getting there. Like a, every single person that gets in touch with us is a marketer, VP marketing, CMO, digital marketing manager. Every single you know, uh, email signature has one of those job titles in. So when you when you zoom out, you're like, hang on, we're yeah, we're a WordPress agency, but what are we doing? We're we're delivering marketing outcomes for our clients. So I think. Any WordPress developer or agency needs to needs to think about like what, where are we best suited to working who are the type of clients we're regularly working with where are our case studies strongest because I think when you can elevate the conversation from just we're really good at WordPress to we're really good at WordPress for businesses like you and here's the evidence to back it up and here are the case studies and we understand your pain points and we understand you know, in our case the the b2 b uh, and technology buying process and we build websites that support that process. You know, you move up from discussions about widgets and features and functionality, which are important, but you have a business-led conversation that that talks about increasing conversions and increasing lead generation, and improving organic search visibility and the things that marketers report on back to their line managers and back to their CEO, even. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of different ways of kind of slicing things up, but um, I don't think that WordPress agency in itself is really an accurate description for, for any agency, really, which might be a controversial perspective, but um, hopefully it makes sense.
0: Yeah, and I think it's a good one to have, right? I mean, because what you mentioned, it, it kind of reminds me of uh, like you go to a, a restaurant, right? And you can go to a restaurant and you can order a steak anywhere, right? But the the restaurant, the steak that you get at Applebee's is not going to be as good as the steak that you get from like Ruth's Chris or or some a uh, well-known steak joint, right? And further, they're not going to tell you the ingredients for how they made their steak. They're going to be like, "It tastes wonderful. It's going to make you full. It's going to pair really nicely with your favorite wine." Those are the things that people care about. They don't care like, "Oh yeah, we're going to use like React JS to build this block specifically." <laughs> like, no one really that that's developers care about that,
1: but exactly, clients, yeah. 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 Uh, and, and they're two hugely, hugely different discussions, different processes. And I think that's the thing. Like some WordPress agencies, they are talking about React to their client. But like, you know, when I think about agencies like um, Human Made, for example, mm. you may have come across here, you know, yeah. they're, they're engineering focused. Like they do, they solve some really big technical challenges at scale for big publishers. They might be working with marketers some of the time, but I imagine they're working with product owners and yeah. CTOs and people that care about quality of the React code and stuff. And I'm mm-hmm. not saying our clients don't, but as you point out, they they rarely even know what it means, um, let alone understand why it's important or, or you know the difference between these things.
0: Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, and I've said the same thing to plugin developers. I look at a plugins website and they're trying to sell plugins and they're like built 100% with React or whatever. And I'm like, are you trying to sell this to other developers? Because if you're if you're trying to sell it to like regular WordPress users, they don't know what that means. Tell them the problem exactly. it solves. Um, yeah, and, and so we're talking about, right, like who you're talking to. You mentioned positioning specifically. Uh, I think a lot of WordPress freelancers, small businesses are afraid to niche down because they think they're going to exclude people. But what you said is, is, is maybe not the opposite, but it'll have the opposite effect, right? Because you're telling a specific group of people, I can solve your problem.
1: And I I completely agree. And it took me a while too to get comfortable with this because it feels feels like completely the wrong thing to do. When when you're an entrepreneur working for yourself, trying to grow a business, you want the pool of people that you work with naturally to be as wide as possible, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so narrowing that down so it's super focused feels completely alien. Like it feels like a crazy thing to do. But when you then realize that your conversion rates and the way in which what you do uh, lands with the people you're talking to so much more effectively and the the cost of the projects the budgets that you can work with goes up so dramatically with that as well that having a you know a, a small percentage of a market which is still thousands of businesses like i would challenge any agency freelancer whatever to to pick an industry pick a location and narrow that down and then narrow it down a bit further and then narrow it down based on you know size of company based on headcount, or, you know, there's all these tools out there where you can, you can shortlist companies, right? It, no matter how deep you go, like, you're going to end up with a company list in the, in the hundreds, minimum. Um, and I'd feel a lot more comfortable creating all of my blog content, my website, my messaging, my outreach, my... Suddenly, once you've done that, like, everything falls into place behind it. You know exactly which events to show up to, you know exactly which podcasts to listen to, which webinars to watch or attend. Um... Your messaging and your your outreach just feels so much more on point when you get in touch with these people. Every I can't ex- even explain how much stuff just falls into place when when you when you take that approach versus sitting down in front of the computer and going, okay, so we worked with a charity before, we've worked with a, you know, a lawyer, an accountant. You just you like, I remember this feeling of just being completely lost. Right. Like where where do I t- like how do I grow this business when I could work with anyone uh, anywhere. And it's an impossible question to answer. So yeah, it pains me when I see so many like small agency websites who are four people and you know, it's on the homepage, it says not even WordPress agency. Like I should say WordPress agency is a step in the right direction, right? Like it's, it's right. Yeah. At least a, a perspective. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's even worse when it's like full service agency and then they list like every service under the sun. And then you go on their team page and there's like four of them and there's a profile photo of their dog as well to try and make it five. And you're like, <laughs> you you can't be a full service agency with that many people. Like it's just impossible. And right. I you, you know, to, to back this up when I when I try and explain this to other agencies or or people that I'm talking to, I can I can tell you now, like, pick any big agency and I'll be able to dig into their history and go back to when they first started and they were 10 people, they were 20 people. And I guarantee you, nearly always. Unless they were born out of some huge company and had huge amounts of investment to begin with, that uh, their roots will be super, super niche or niche, as you guys say in, in the US. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, there's one agency here in the UK that sold for like 50 million a couple of years ago. You know, full service digital agency, BMW. Um, you know, every big brand you can imagine under the uh, on their client roster. And when they started, all they did was. Content marketing for sports uh, sports clubs, like they ran Manchester United's magazine. Like, how do you go from running a sports magazine to full service global agency worth fifty million? You do it by building great relationships, by doing great work, by cleverly kind of extending your service offering and pivoting. But you do that over years, gradually through acquisitions. So they did acquire some other agencies. Mm. So nobody wakes up full service agency on day one with a team of three people. Um, and can deliver everything. And and marketers, or whoever your persona is, can see through that. Like, they'll go on your website and they'll say, God, you do everything and you're three of you, like, we need specialists. And that's the marketing world, at least for us now, is working with specialists is is more important than ever.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, so, and it's both sides of the coin too, because if you're, if you are offering WordPress and Joomla and React and PHP and everything, that's, more work for you because now you have to learn and relearn all these technologies. You work with different clients, which means you have to learn and relearn different businesses. If, you're a, if you make lawyer websites, you understand what lawyer websites need. But on the other side of the coin, if I want, again, with the restaurant stuff, like I just ate lunch. I don't know why I'm talking about food. But <laughs> if I want sushi, I'm not going to a burger joint that says they serve sushi. I am going to be highly suspect of a burger joint that also serves sushi.
1: So, uh, 100%. And actually this, you know, when you talk about those efficiencies, this is, the the biggest saving and efficiency is in the new business space. It is in, kind of what we're talking about and around in terms of the new business process because that is the area in which I think every agency struggles to scale efficiently the most. And if I, like, we have tons of proposals to respond to at the moment, and we you know, start of the new year brings in lots of briefs and opportunities, which is which is exciting. And if I was trying to do proposals for a publisher, and then a charity, and then a tech company, and then a lawyer, and like that is so much work to try and make that proposal personalised, relevant to their industry, demonstrating experience. Whereas if you've just got your few sectors that you work with, and we do have a few others beyond B two B tech, um, although that's the one we actively focus on we can deliver kind of almost like a hundred slides presentation decks, which feel super relevant to the client in kind of like four to eight hours of work with the deck being maybe like anywhere from 60 to 80% ready to go. Because Mm -hmm. we know that those clients are going to come to us with very similar lists of requirements, pain points, challenges, and objectives. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So the testimonials
0: from similar businesses, things
1: like that. Everything. Case studies, like you can just go on and on. It's ready to go. So Mm -hmm. that's, that's where it's changed the game, I think, the most for us is, is the new business uh, process side of things and being able to scale that. This episode is brought to you by Text Expander.
0: It's a new year, and you can start off on the right foot by reclaiming your time. With Text Expander, you can save time by converting any text you type into keyboard shortcuts called snippets. Say goodbye to repetitive text entry, spelling and message errors, and trying to remember the right thing to say. With text Expander, you can say the right thing in just a few keystrokes. Better than copy and paste, better than scripts and templates, text Expander snippets allow you to maximize your time by getting rid of the repetitive things you type while still customizing and personalizing your messages. Text Expander can be used in any platform, any app, anywhere you type. Take back your time and increase your productivity in the new year. And let me just say that snippets is not all it does. With advanced snippets, you can create fill ins, pop up fields, and much more. You can even use JavaScript or AppleScript. I can type out full instructions for my podcast editor, Hi Joel in just a few keystrokes. Another one of my favorite and most used snippets is PPT. This will take whatever text I have on my keyboard and convert it to plain text, so I'm no longer fighting formatting. Plus, if you have employees or contractors, you can use TextExpander to manage and share snippets with them, so you all get it right every time. I've recently started sharing text Expander snippets with my virtual assistant. This year, How I Built It is focusing on being productive while working from home. Text Expander is the perfect tool for that. Plus, they're providing resources and blog posts to help you make the most of their tool and be productive. Text Expander is available on Mac OS, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, and iPad. If you've been curious about trying Text Expander or simple automation in general, now is the time. Listeners can get 20% off their first year. Just visit Textexpander.com slash podcast and let them know that I sent you. All of this talk might have seemed irrelevant to virtual pitching, but it's all so integral to it because you are building your pitch by, uh, by niching down, right? So um, you should niche to build your pitch. There we go. There's the tagline for this episode. So let's get into the title question here. How did you how did you build your virtual pitching process? Right. Because again, like I said, at the top of the show, networking in person events is a little bit easier for me. You said most of your, your leads come through your website. I assume most of your pitches are, or all of your pitches are now via zoom or some video conferencing.
1: Yep. Yep, definitely. So yeah, I think we've, you know, new businesses, you've probably heard from everything I've just said has been like definitely a journey of exploration and like it's still improving. And even today I had a call with some of the team about how we can get them more involved in the new business process. So it's a, a constant evolution. Um, I'd say that, um, you know, there's, there's lots of steps to the new business process. Um, and, you know, we can we can cover off all the stuff that happens first in terms of making sure that your qualifications is really strong. So, um, you know, I guess this is just pre-pitch, but, I think one of the areas which we used to lose the most amount of time on was just getting really excited when an opportunity came our way and then actually discovering that, you know, we were just, uh, meeting in the room is sometimes an expression we use in terms of like procurement have picked their, Mm. um, or the clients pick the agency they want to work with, but procurement have said, no, you need to get three quotes and clients wasting some agency time. Uh, They don't want to, but they have to. Um, So we ask questions like, you know, how many agencies are you inviting to pitch and, do you have a, a past working relationship with any of those agencies? Or do, do you and any of the stakeholders have a, a relationship with any of those agencies? Um and uh, you know, we we validate budgets and we look at um, you know, cultural fit to some extent where we can. Like, do we feel like we're gonna have a good working relationship? Um, are they looking for a partner rather than just a supplier or a vendor? Um, what's the you know, what's the working relationship gonna be like once we're underway? So there's a lot of things that we do there to make sure that. Before we invest the time in, which can be still considerable amounts of time, preparing proposals and pitches and stuff, Uh, we we make sure that we're we're focusing on the right things. But yeah, the the pitch itself is, as you said, like since March, everything's been pretty much virtual. We're lucky that I guess even before that, we've worked with clients all over the world, and so we've done some virtual pitches. And it's you know not everything was always in London in the room, so we had a bit of experience of it. But um, I think there's a lot of things that you can think about both in the run up to a virtual pitch and during and after um, to get things right and to kind of provide a great experience. So that planning process is is pretty key. You know, I've, I've got a few different monitors and I, you know, I'm using an external mic and headphones and some decent kind of audio visual equipment. Um, my background isn't the most pretty today, but, you know, I think sometimes putting some thought into that, you know, these are basic things, but you know, we used to be able to bring clients into you know a cool, nice central London office, and mm-hmm. we can't do that anymore. So we have to try and get a bit of the feel of us across virtually, which is not always easy to do. Um, I actually want to. I
0: actually want to stop there for a minute, right? Because, well, first of all, I liked what you said about the pre-pitch, right? Like weeding out tire kickers, essentially, right? Or people who are just yeah. trying to fill a quota. But this is something that a lot of people probably don't think of, right? They're more concerned with putting the pitch deck together. And setting up the meeting and like talking to the client, but framing your shot, looking and sounding professional. I just wrote an article about this for GiveWP, where you put you got to put your best foot forward in every aspect of what you're doing, right? Uh, and so I've met with with people, potential clients, and without fail, they've always commented on how good my picture looks. I have a 4K camera. I don't think you need a 4K camera, but. I'm a YouTuber, so I have that benefit, and it always garners a compliment, and it makes me look just a little bit more professional.
1: Yeah, I think it's hugely important, and I think to some extent we could argue that like the formalities of these kind of business discussions have reduced with COVID. Like, you know, I've been on calls where we've had animals and cats and mm. dogs and kids, and like yep. we're in people's living rooms, in people's bedrooms, even as pretty personal. So. I think fortunately that's become a bit easier. Maybe people are a bit more relaxed in general about that kind of thing. Uh but I still think, you know, first impressions matter. It's a it's a cliche, but it's true. Um so yeah, I think it's framing the shot, thinking about equipment that you're using. There's so many things that um that you can do to to get that right. And they are small details, um, but yeah, important to think about. I think also the like the delivery of how you deliver the pitch, um, pretty key. Like it it's a small thing, but certain um like if you use Google Meets versus Zoom versus uh, Microsoft Teams or whatever, they all display like people's video when you're sharing your screen slightly differently. So I like to be able to see people's faces, for example, so that when I'm going through the pitch you know, when you're in a room with someone, you can see if someone's got a question or you know, body language, whatever. It's really hard if, you, if, you sh- if you've only got one monitor and you share your screen and suddenly everybody else is out of sight. You're kind of just—it feels like you're talking to yourself. You're kind of on your own at a certain point. Um, Zoom actually has like an overlay, so you can still see little faces on top of the screen that you're sharing. But I tend to have either a couple of screens. Or I've also got an iPad on a stand that I can have my deck on the background. Because another challenge is that if you were, if I was going into a a client's office, I might be able to have my notes on my laptop screen, but then the presentation on a on a separate screen. Whereas when you're sharing your screen. You don't have your notes anymore. You don't have any like of your your, your one screen is your one screen. That's what the client sees, and so there's all these small things which can can throw you off course. I think fortunately now, like I I tend to pitch without using notes, and um, I, I'm kind of just used to a lot of the decks and the things that we talk through. Um, but you know, you can you can get caught caught at caught off there. Um, I think one of the one of the horror stories I heard was um, someone sharing their screen, and then I think uh, trying to chat with her team through Zoom during the pitch and accidentally messaging everybody. You know how you can message one yeah. person or, um, <laughs> or or everyone and they shared like a message about the client or something. Uh, on uh,
0: Yeah. Yeah, so,
1: so not great. So small and things.
0: Yeah, that's actually another good thing to think about, right? You're always going to have, if you have a team of people, you're going to have back channel talk. Don't make the back channel talk in whatever you're meeting on, right? So if if you're meeting on Zoom, back channel with,
1: Slack, yeah, WhatsApp, or yeah, uh, yeah phone exactly. or something separate. Like ideally, keep it off your screen even because even Slack can pop up with notifications. Yeah, right. But that's another good tip. Like make sure you you share ideally just your. You know, I, I use Google Slides for all of our pitch decks, so share just the browser window, not the whole desktop. Because then, if something does slide in, you know if your if your mum phone gives you a phone call to say hi in the middle of the pitch, then it doesn't say mom with a heart sign in the top right of the screen. Yeah, um, all those kind of embarrassing things that can happen. So, yep. yeah, pretty pretty important to think about.
0: If you're a, a Mac user, there's a great app. I think it's called Plim, P L I M M. I'll link to it in the show okay. notes over at HowIBuiltIt slash two hundred three. But it's just you know you you turn it on and it kills your notifications. It changes it changes your background. It hides your icons. And it uh, hides most of the apps, right? Except for the ones you're actively using. So um, stuff like that. So this is interesting because I didn't think this is where this conversation was going to go. Maybe in the the member (laughs) show we could talk gear real quick too. Um, But uh, this is all really important stuff, right? Uh, Because we just to... I'm going to ask you about tips for listeners too. Uh, I'll give you an opportunity to kind of wrap up your virtual pitch ideas. Um, But uh, so far, we've talked about, you know, like your messaging and positioning needs to be important to generate leads. And then when you deliver the pitch, put your best foot forward, look as best as you can and and be as professional as you can while, while not being in the room. And those small details always come through, whether the client like realizes it or not, those small details will leave a better impression in their mind.
1: Definitely. Yeah, 100%. And I think, you know, some of our pitches we have, uh, we have, some of my team joining to talk through certain parts of the deck and so again another small thing which is client experience is like are you going to switch over um, midway through and say like okay so and so is going to take over the presentation now and they're going to share their screen or are they going to say next slide please like which is which is Mm -hmm. less jarring for someone to keep saying next slide and someone's moving the? all these small things are you know they do matter and I think if you can show that you've thought these things through and that you've got some some polish there then um yeah it can it can go a long way um i'm a big fan of recording pitches too i think one of the one of the big benefits of virtual pitching is that you can record the pitch in a way that in a lot of cases you weren't able to do before um i think that's interesting because sometimes stakeholders that are on the pitch are not actually the final decision makers a lot of the time um or at least they need to take you know they need to take things back to the rest of the business and say this is the agency we want to work with and this is why and that can be hard and so recording a pitch is almost like the ultimate piece of like internal sales enablement collateral because you can send them through a link and they can go send their CMO an email or their CEO or whoever it is and go, we want to work with this agency. Here's a recording of their pitch if you want to check it out. Um, Job done in a way that you couldn't do a lot of the time before.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. And you know, like with Zoom or like I do a lot of stuff on Ecamm Live, like you can, you can, queue up a video, right? So you can switch from you talking to the client. Yeah. All right. We're going to switch to our pitch now. We'll take questions after the pitch uh, and then just switch to the video, right? And then kind of talk internally with your team. And once it's over, reconvene. That's so great. I love that. Um, yeah. Awesome. So we are coming up on time here. Man, we we, we went deep on a lot of things. I really like it. Um, <laughs> so let's, let's say uh, we've convinced the listeners, okay, I need to be better about virtual pitching. I need to be better about not just relying on word of mouth. Uh, What are a couple of tips for listeners that you would recommend?
1: I would say invest in uh, process. So I I I have a strong view that agencies are like naturally, intrinsically unscalable businesses. Like to scale an agency is going against like a lot of the forces of nature. They're Mm -hmm. people intensive. And the more people you throw into any mix the more crossed wires, confusion, room for error there is. Like this is not, if you're scaling a SaaS business, you can have 10 developers serving 1,000 customers and 12 developers serving, I don't know, 100,000 customers. Like there's these efficiencies that unlock. Agencies don't do that. For every, I don't know, $5,000 of revenue you want to do, you probably need another human being on the team. Right. Um, And so everything for me about growth is about process, like templating things, investing in checklists, like, all of that stuff, which you don't want to stop people from thinking and engaging their own. You don't want to stop them from using their own brains to make decisions, that's important. But you want to find this balance where there's enough structure and framework for people to to move things forwards in a way that's going to deliver quality and a certain degree of scale. So for me, new business is one of those areas. I think you need to treat new business and pitching and everything related to it like you would treat any other part of an agency. Development processes um, you know, design processes, project management processes, new business shouldn't really be any different. Um, so I think, yeah, investing in the process side of things is probably my big, big takeaway on the the pitching side of things.
0: I like that. That's really important, right? Because you need to document, it'll make onboarding new employees easier too. Exactly, so, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. So I, I think that's really important. And, um, I think that's, pr- that's as, Explicit as you need to get, right? Everybody's gonna have a different process. Uh I will link to uh Shannon Schaefer's episode from last year. She talks a bit about her process specifically. Um, but it's gonna be different for everybody. And I'm learning that I just brought on a virtual assistant. Um awesome. and so I'm trying to create better processes with her. I have a podcast team that I've created a pro prodca- uh, a process with that makes this whole thing very efficient for me. So I think that's that's really great. Um As we wrap up here, I do need to ask you my favorite question, which is, do you have any trade secrets for us?
1: It's a good question. I was going to say that I feel like we've kind of covered this to some extent, but I'll I'll double down on it, which is just that I think specialization um, beats everything when you're an agency. I just think proposition and service offering and specialization is just key to to absolutely everything. Um, I think it's, it always makes me a little bit sour when I see so many agencies that have great people, great talent, great skills, uh, but they just can't talk about it. They haven't wrapped it up in the right way. You know, the website is poor. Marketing messages are poor. Um, and I think you know, it's, uh, the key to, key to agency growth is really, really nailing that down. And obviously, you need to have strong delivery and all the other things that matter underneath it. But um, that first impression of this is what this agency does and they are really good at it is, is what it all comes down to for me.
0: Yeah, I think that's great. And, and, and I'll, I'll add my own little trade secret here, which is if you are working with B2B tech or, or anybody who has like considerable, considerable competitors, if you land one of those people, their competitors will want the same thing. And they'll probably seek you out to do that as well. So, um, Definitely. yeah. So awesome. Alex, this has been fantastic. Uh, if, Again, we are going to talk about two fun things in the members-only show that's automatic getting into web design, and maybe a little bit of some of the hardware that you're using to manage these things. Uh, But before we do that and sign off, where can people find you?
1: So I'm on LinkedIn, Alex Price. Uh, If you type my name in, I'm sure it will come up with a link to 93 Digital. Uh, Twitter, I'm at Alex Price, which you can link to because it's a weird username, but I think A-L-X-P-R-C-E, missing a few letters. Um, Or feel free to drop me an email if you like. It's just alex at 93digital.co.uk. I always like connecting with other developers and freelancers and agencies and stuff. So always good to talk with others uh, in your community. Awesome. I will
0: link to all of that and more in the show notes, again, over at howibuilt.it slash 203. Alex, thanks so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And thanks so much to our sponsors, Outgrow, Restrict Content Pro, and Text Expander. Thank you for listening. And until next time, get out there and build something.